Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. We are talking today about something we've alluded to on the previous episodes. And again, we have Ryan and Kenny both joining me on the show today. And what we're going to get into are insider woes the public doesn't see. So again, we've alluded to this on previous episodes. We've talked a little bit off mic, but I really wanted just to open this up and start to dig into some of the uh, maybe the problems, maybe the hangups, maybe the frustrations that we don't really hear other folks talk about when it comes to starting your own brand, you know, keeping a brand going, stretching to other markets. So I'll I'll leave this as a jumping off point, guys. Thanks for joining me again, and and let's start getting into some annoying things about s- starting a brand. Uh, where do we where, where do we do begin? begin? <laughs> it's like we're probably in unison with that one. I mean, I'll kind of I'll kind of go first. So one of the first things that I I believe that we first became kind of unaware about is is how much capital it really takes to actually start a brand. And that actually started the first time we ever went down to Memphis and selected a few barrels. And we had only anticipated selecting, I think, what, two or one? Something uh, like one. Yeah. yeah, one. We had budgeted one. We budgeted one. Because when you hear these barrels are three, $4,000 a piece, you're like, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's up there. I, I never really thought, well, how much this is really going to take? So you, you take that at three, 4000 and we go down there, and we're like, well, we can't just pick one. These are too good. Like, all right, we'll take two. So we're leaving not even having an idea of what our brand is, what our label looks like, a glass, literally anything. And we're already seven to $8,000 in the hole. And two, it, it was three. Is that what it was? Okay. So yeah. we're over, we're over <laughs> 10 grand at this point. So we're over 10 grand at this point and not even really sure what we're going to do. Now, I think we have, we had a really, really awesome opportunity at the very beginning where we had some good financing terms sort of set up for us. So we didn't have the same exact experience other people would have. So if you're just getting into this business or you want to get into this business, you have to know the level of risk that you're willing to take and, and what you want to put into it. Because the risk that you're going to put in is saying that if you want to start a brand, and most people, you're going to have to start a brand based on sourcing, you want to go ahead and you want to buy 50 barrels. 50 barrels, by the way, is is what we did almost in our first United batch, if you combine the the two together. So that gets you essentially one release. You take 50 barrels times, you just heard the prices out there. And so you put that check over and you say, okay, well, I hope this all works out because you don't know what it tastes like. You don't know what the fill level is. There could be a hundred bottles in the barrel. There could be 200 bottles in the barrel. You're still paying that same exact price for the barrel. So it's a super risky way to kind of get into this. And I think that's probably one of the first things that we saw um, in the very beginning that this is a, it's a very risky business. Now we were not essentially, it wasn't really a pain for us at first. I think it really became a pain when we had to figure out how to begin navigating. I think a lot of the legal hurdles that it takes to starting a brand and and figuring out how the distribution games played. I think that's are those are probably two from the very early days. But Ryan, I'll kind of let you tack on one here. Yeah, and then two, it's such a highly regulated industry. And so you got a lot of government uh red tape and paperwork and waiting. It's it's unbelievable. You know, I'm in 
I started businesses, you know, that two before this, and then, well, I guess three, if you count the podcast and then, uh, which they're all kind of melting together, but you know, typically you're in control of your own destiny and, you know, and you want to get things done, you get it done. Uh, but when you're in the liquor business, you, you're like, all right, I want to get this done. And then you submit paper to a state and, uh, you know, you don't hear from them a couple of weeks. You're like, Hey, did you get my application? Yeah, we got uh, four or five months of applications ahead of you, you know, and you're like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm ready to go to market now, you know, I'm, I'm ready to sell this stuff. You know, we got time invested, this and that. And so that was, so now I just say, if we want to do any project, we got a, at least six months in advance, probably more risk, realistically a year. And so it took us a while to navigate the whole legal channels inside of it, trademarking, God, who knew you had the spirits, you know, every name is taken, you know, you can't just have pursuit. You got to have Cecil Coleman pursuit because <laughs> pursuit is taken by some Chardonnay company and God knows who were. Yeah. And, uh, that was another so big pain point. We had the idea of just calling it pursuit and that didn't work out for us. Yeah. And so you're like, well, what do we do? And then you're like, our attorney that you're paying thousands of dollars for just to research names you can't do, uh, you know, you're like, well, what do we, and they're like, well, put your name on it. And you're like, well, that sounds douchey, you know, <laughs> I don't want to put our own name on it, but that's the only way we could do it to get, and we had to have pursuit because it was, you know, tied with the podcast. And so, yeah, that, that was the, the biggest learning curve for me is, you know, and I dealt with a little bit doing some work for schools here, you know, locally doing some sports fields and stuff. But man, when you're working with government agencies, gosh, things just move at a snail's pace. And I imagine it's different too, you know. So it, you know, where did you all have to start initially with that? Was uh, Kentucky, I'm assuming. But then, you know, are, were you running into different walls depending on where you're having to register, what you're having to, you know, where you're getting your stuff packaged? You know, get into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of starts off with just forming the new business and trying to figure out, okay, well, where do we establish the LLC and how do we how do we do this? And the other thing is when you just establish an LLC, it's not like we're on Etsy and we're just creating like fun hats and pins that we can sell. I mean, this is the alcohol business. Like it's, as Ryan said, it's highly regulated. And it was something that we didn't really know. I was like, can you just get a regular LLC for this? Like, how does this start? And so after we got the LLC, that actually wasn't as hard as it thought. The second part is what Ryan said is actually going through and figuring out, okay, now what kind of TTB license do we need to actually go and bottle and sell our own alcohol? And what's funny is when you call up a government agency and say, what what do I need to sell alcohol? And they're like, I don't really know. Let me talk to my manager. And then <laughs> you wait three to five weeks for the manager to call you back. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. No, I mean, you're totally right because that's essentially what happened was we would, you'd look through the whole list of things that we knew what we are. We're, we're a non-distilling producer and we're not going to own a distillery. We're not going to have our own, um, you know, DSP or anything like that. So, so what does that leave us with? It probably took a solid two to three weeks of research and calling around and figuring out, okay, well, what is the actual license that we need to be able to do this? Now, our license is actually just a wholesaler's license. I don't really, I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm hoping that's the right one to have. But when you, when you hear a wholesaler's license, does that, what does that really mean to you? Like for me, I thought that meant distributor's license. That's not really, 
you're in the, you know, you're in the producing side of things. Like that's not what it meant to me. So there was all of a sudden you had weeks up until months of just trying to figure out, well, what kind of license do we need? And you're sending, as Ryan said, messages to the government going through their FAQs and nobody really knows what they're doing. At some point I'm sitting here like, I'm like, we want to be like Jefferson's bourbon. We do not own a distillery. Like, how do we bottle and sell this stuff? And I was- There's been but, millions, or not millions, but many have done this before. Yeah. And, and so I'm sitting here writing a list of all these other non-distilling producers that don't own a distillery. Well, Jefferson's does now, but back then they didn't. And I said, well, how do they? how are they doing this? And I guess they just don't keep like a good reference check anywhere. And so that was sort of like the first pain of trying to figure out, okay, now we've got our license. What's next? And that's when we start getting into, well, all right, how do we get our bottles out to market? And at the very beginning, I had this grandiose vision that we're a, we're nationally recognized because of the podcast. We've got a national audience out there. We can't just go to Kentucky distribution or Florida or whatever, stuff will just sit on the shelves because we're not gonna be able to get in the hands of our audience that's out there. And I think it was just fortuitous timing when Blake was starting Sealbox. At literally the same exact time, we were down there picking our first barrels. So we're down there picking our first barrels and we call Blake and I'm, I'm thinking, all right, man, I know you're doing something. How does this actually work? And he kind of gave us the the overview and said, you know, basically since it's DC, I can buy direct from you. I don't need to go through a, a third tier or a distributor. So it's basically you're just going straight to the retailer. At first, you're kind of like, okay, well, it sounds good on paper. I'll believe what you're saying, but we'll see how this actually works. And so that was sort of the the way that we ended up almost kind of stress testing Blake um, the first time we ever had our first release because I think that we were one of the, if not the first ones on a Sealbox website where we sold a barrel out within, what was it, an hour or two, something like that. And I don't think Blake had Two seen, barrels. Yeah, I don't think Blake had seen that many, because uh, he used to have it on where his phone, he would get an, uh, a notification every single time there was a Shopify order that came yeah. through. And so, yeah, he's like running this out of like a 10 by 10 storage unit (laughs) at the time. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, and this is, this is, uh, you know, kudos to Blake and and everything that he's done because today it's, it's a much different operation than it was uh, back in 2018 with the, when this all launched, it's a, it's completely different animal now, but you know, I think we had our own deal of stressing with him as well, because we had this idea that, okay, we, we know that we can't get to every state, but you have a, a good handful of states. And I think back then it was, I don't know, like 30 or something like that that he could go through. And so it was almost like on a week-by-week basis, he would have different states or UPS or FedEx, whoever it was, calling him at the time saying, oh, sorry, Kentucky's down. You can't shoot to Kentucky anymore. Or, all right, Kentucky's back on. Wait, nope, Kentucky's back down. And so... We had a lot of angry customers just on day one because it took, God, what? Sometimes up to three months for some people to get their bottles on the first release. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was even just like three weeks after, you know, it had been sold online and I was like, it was like New Year's and I'm down in like Gatlinburg or some of my family. And like, you just see these flood of like angry emails, you know, like, where's my bottle? 
F seal box pursuit sucks, you know, this, and you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? You know? And, uh, yeah, it was kind of, I guess, cause it was Blake's kind of first run, our first run. And, you know, everybody had the expectation of Amazon, you know, like Amazon order it made it. You know, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so we, I mean, you know, Kenny did a great job of like, uh, you know, fielding it all and damage you know, control, damage control. And, like some people that were like really angry, they'd been Patreon supporters for a while. I even took, gosh, I think we even took bottles out of our own stashes to and send them to them because you know they had supported us for a long time and their bottles got lost or this or that. Hell, I think bottles are still showing up in Blake's uh, <laughs> inventory somewhere. inventory somehow wow. from from those first couple releases. But uh, yeah, it, it was a wild uh, you know first release for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stressful things when you deal with, I mean, and today it's, it's even, it's, it's, it's shifted a little bit because now that we're in almost six states and now I have to, and and I'm kind of dealing with this right now, as we start getting distributions and allocations to different sort of states, I'm spending hours upon hours trying to figure out, okay, was this label actually registered with this state? Oh, did I supply a new vendor form or a new product form for this particular distributor? And how does the PO process work again for this distributor? Because they're all different. Nobody's the same exact way of how they are, you know, pushing out POs, how you do invoicing, what the net payment terms are. And so there's a laundry list of things that just when it comes to just doing accounts receivable stuff that I've I've never had to really do this in my life before. And so I'm sort of figuring out that as I go. And it's uh it, it can be it can be taxing at times. So that was that was actually a good chunk of my day just today, uh trying to figure all that sort of stuff out. But you know, I think uh it's gonna be one of those things that one thing I've learned in my life is that you have to document it so you don't have to go back and figure this all out again and it's just not tribal knowledge. So that's that's on my to-do list in the future here. And we've talked about on other episodes, the the run sizes. You mentioned earlier, too, about going in and picking up your first couple of barrels. And, you know, I would think, I would think for somebody who's coming in to, new to this, all those opportunities seem really interesting. But when you l- look at the grand scheme of things and how large that is, like releasing a barrel, releasing three barrels, maybe releasing 50 barrels, like that doesn't that doesn't go very far. It doesn't do a whole lot when you're dealing with brands that regularly put out single barrels or have these huge batches of product. And we're seeing this, I think, a little bit when it comes to the United Pursuit bourbon. You know, you all went from a batch size, you went larger. We can we can talk about that here in a second. But t- talk to us about what that reach does. I mean, are you all itching and like, man, if, if only we could up it more, you know, what is, what's this, what's this batch size release? And are there frustrations around that? You know, cause I, I see a lot of the messages come through of, I, I want to see it on my shelf or it's in a state that you all are in, but it just disappears. You know, you see that around here too, but you know, what realistically do you think you want a batch size to be to try and comfortably hit the markets whenever you all put something out like that. And are you dealing with frustration specifically around that topic? I wish we could auto scale as in like, if we need it today, then we just go ahead, we get it, we turn around, 
But that's just that's not the nature of the market. The nature of the market, and that's I think that's another great thing to bring up is that it's it's very frustrating. Everything that we've done is being built off a source product, and it's aged or source product. So just because I can get one and two year barrels doesn't mean I can do anything with them. I still have to sit on that for a very long time. Granted, we say it's you know another two years plus, but in in real life terms, it's actually quite a long time to just sit there and just wait. And yeah, especially it, we got so much money tied up into it and it's just sitting there doing nothing yeah and you're sure and you're like i promise honey one day it'll pay off (laughs) (laughs) if our hair's not gray enough yet it it will be when it starts paying off but that really is a a frustrating point is that you know when you're trying to build something on the source market you're really at the mercy of it i know we've harped on it quite a few times already that if you want to sell you know seven to eight year mgp you probably should have been buying mgp seven to eight years ago to make sure that you have plenty of stock. And you're just not going to see that in the market today. Everything is cleaned up and you're not going to see a lot of stuff that's going to come online. In my opinion, at least a pseudo expert opinion, you're not going to see a lot of four-year-old Kentucky bourbon come online, at least for another two to three years. Well, these all these investor barrels start coming out. But if it was up to me and my druthers, yes, it would be great if we could just go ahead and blow the roof off this thing and get as much money in and get the aged product in and blend it, bottle it, and get it out there. But the the hard truth is that from the sources that we want to get it from, that we have spent over a year plus in development, not only just creating the blend, but also building those relationships with those distilleries, it's not available. Like It's just not there. And if it's yeah, not there, I mean, we're, we can't do anything with it. And we're in a really a fortunate position to like be in the position that we're at to even have new make contracts, you know, to where we can secure our future. It's a lot of people that have started brands just in the past year or two. And, you know, they were doing sourced whiskey and now they're trying to get on the, you know, new make side just because they realized like we did that source markets only going to take you so far that they can't get new make whiskey. So they're, you know, they're, they're scrambling to, to have product for, you know, the next release and whatnot. But yeah, it's just, you know, I know Kenny wants to, you know, be an overnight success and do 250,000 bottles today, but I don't know. I think it puts us in a good position where we can really focus on the quality, really kind of go through the, you know, the growing pains, not with so much on the line you know, right now. And so we can kind of figure out things. So it's, it kind of sucks because you do see such demand, you know, you get messages all the time from like, gosh, I wish it was in California. I wish it was here. I wish it was there. You know, and you're like, man, I wish we could support that. But I don't know. It it gives us some time to, to work all the kinks out and make sure we have the processes and everything figured out to where when we have the product ready, it kind of goes and is a much more better experience for everyone. Yeah, even if we had access to all the H stock today, it would still take us six months to a year to get it out the door, just because of that's what it's going to take for all the other trickle down components of glass and corks and everything like that. New labels, every distribution, making sure we have the right partnerships in place. All of those things will eventually kind of creep up to you and and create roadblocks. And so that's another sort of frustrating thing is it's it's not just the whiskey. It's literally every piece of the package that is going to kind of create a little bit of anxiety and stress in your life, just from making sure that you pick the right foil that's going to go on the label, (laughs) making sure that you are getting the right printer press and 
the right paper and the adhesive and all these things that you just don't think about. Yeah. And, you know, and then you go to bottle and every component is there, even the boxes, the shippers, but they don't have inserts. And so they're like, they call you the night before and they're like, well, we can't find your inserts. So I don't know if we can bottle. And you're like, what? We, we, we got everything there, everything. And, you know, and you're call Kenny's like calling, you know, what's going on, you know, and they, they worked it out, but it's just like every little detail component, it has to line up, you know, it, it's a, it's a, Kenny does a great job. And I, I, if it was, if I was in charge of it, God, good God, <laughs> it's, we it's wouldn't be that. here. I, I'm, I'll stick to the blending and fundraising, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a logistical nightmare, really. There, there is a lot of things to, to kind of put together that that makes all the cogs sort of work, and it's it's a lot more than than anybody could ever think, and it's a lot more than another one person can do. I, I would always say that if you're going to go into this, you make sure that you have a good you know co-founder and somebody to kind of go in with you because it's really hard to do on your own. Um, everything that's just going to take just from the operation side to get into marketing to get into quality control of products, uh, you name it, uh, establishing relationships. Those are all things that Ryan and I both have strengths in and weaknesses, and we kind of counterbalance that, I think, fairly well. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, if if you don't have that going in, you're going to even find more pitfalls and more pains that you're going to try to realize that you're going to need some help in, in some of these areas. And you're mentioning the foil, you're mentioning printers, you've talked about the glass and the corks. Are the bottles that you all have put out, whether it's the Pursuit Series or it's Pursuit United, are they the bottles that you first envisioned? Are they, is it the, is it the full package like you initially envisioned or did you have to make sacrifices with, you know, some of these things along the way? I see you smiling. I know people listening to this can't, can't see it, but I can well, see it. Well, it's just so like when you start a brand or, you know, and you like look at everything, you're like, Ooh, I want wax and a box and this and that. And you're like, you want it all. And then you start realizing that to get that bottle on the shelf at this cost, you're, you're, you know, gosh, you know, you look at a bottle like Blue Run, you know, beautiful packaging and everything. But I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 10 to $12 in that bottle, you know? And, and so you're like, all right, well, how do I, you know, where do I want to be? What, what price point? And so you do have to make sacrifices because you can't have it all unless well, you can. Blue Run does it, and they get. <laughs> you can have it all. Why not? <laughs> you can't have it all, but just for us, we didn't. You know, there there were a lot of things that we wanted initially, but just you realize that. I think we wanted to focus more what was inside the bottle, and uh, that's gonna play in or play in our favor. Um, but yeah, that's. I don't know. I'm rambling. Well, I think no, can, I think Brian kind of set up a little bit of a softball there too, because if you remember Ryan what it was when we had first talked about doing pursuit series and we sat down in the base and we started looking at the bar we tried to figure out what kind of glass we wanted and our packaging designer Brian was the original one he goes I like this bottle over here what's this bottle we're like oh yeah Parker's Heritage yeah it's a really good bottle that's perfect because there's really nobody else on the market doing any other bottle like that let's go ahead I think that's that's the one and that worked well for quite a long time. I mean, we were, we were ordering a few pallets every once in a while. It came in and it got to the point where we're getting ready to order. Hey, we need to get two or three more pallets of these. And by the way, I guess this is the first thing if you're going to start going down this path is that you realize that you just can't order glass like say, I need 200 bottles. No, no, no. 
Everything comes in pallets. So it's like at minimum 900 to 1100 is what you have to order. And that's sort of the increments and in how all these things work. So when we were starting this down this path, we we're like, oh, okay, we really love this bottle. We had it. We had the design. We had everything sort of going. I just ordered 12,000 new corks because it's a lot easier just to order them all at once. And then what's the next thing we hear? Ah, I'm so sorry. We have discontinued your glass. Now you can't get that anymore. I'm like, what do you mean you discontinued it? Like we built a whole brand around this glass and this packaging and we just ordered 12,000 corks. Like this is good to last us for another two or three years on single barrels. And, you know, I think that's just one of the things that it's out of your hands. You can't do anything about it. And, you know, thankfully it was the, the right time that we were also looking at the packaging for Pursuit United. And we just said, you know, we've got to go to a new glass and once we figure this out, like we've got to talk to the manufacturer. Is there any plans of what, where this glass can go? Like, is there good stock or anything like that? And granted, our glasses, it's off the shelf. We did not do a custom mold for anybody else wants to get into custom molds. Uh, you're looking at minimum 10,000 upwards to 100,000 just to figure out what your glass is going to look like. So you have manufactured in China versus manufactured in Italy sort of thing. But that is one of those things that we we had to, we had this run in with the end of our glass. We now we've got, I think 10,000 extra corks sitting around that we have no idea what to do with. And, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, we had to completely change and rebrand our uh, pursuit series single line. We didn't want to, that wasn't the anticipation, but it gave us an opportunity to say, all right, well, let's go ahead. We'll figure out what this new packaging is going to be like, and then we'll rebrand and try and stay as consistent as we can with what we have and sort of have this sort of sort of I'm going to say marriage between the two but they really play off each other they don't look like completely separate extensions and they don't look like they could be brother and sister but now they do they they look like they could be sort of like brother and sister and they they really kind of play off each other and so that was just one of those things is that you know again once you're in the market of buying things off other people it's not up to you to decide if and when it's available. Oh, here's another one. Uh, when we were buying those ten or 12,000 corks, the problem is, is that if you want actual cork, not synthetic cork, but you want actual cork, it's an extra, I think, three to four weeks of lead time to get those ordered versus another, like I said, synthetic cork, you reduce it by a month. And I said, I don't want to deal with this because I'm really bad. At least I was pretty terrible at dry goods inventory management. Gotten a little bit better since then. And so we never really knew how many corks we had. So I said, I'm just going to order a ton of them, get it way ahead of time. And then we don't have to worry about it for a while. And of course that ended up biting us in the ass. And so now we are uh, sitting on, you know, a couple thousand dollars of corks we can't use. So with these bottles, you're, you're content with there. When, when was it that you ran into the glass uh, issue mainly? Because I know it seems like going through, you know, COVID and whatnot, there, there's been glass shortages and you're seeing this all along supply chain and all these different types of food and beverage industries and stuff like that, packaging materials and all that. So, you know, is this related to that or is that compounded with that fact as well in terms of being able to acquire glass? No, that actually all became, it was just a part of the manufacturer just saying that that glass was not selling as well and they just were going to discontinue it. Now, however... It was, it, we had this sort of decision to make, and that was, this was also the time when the TTB 
approve the ability for anybody to in the U.S. to start using, say, 700 mLs. Now, the manufacturer, they were still producing 700 mLs. However, the gotcha is, is that you have to order a container worth. And a container Ooh. is like 24 pallets or 22 pallets or something like that. For as many single barrels as we were doing, that would last us probably a few years. And I was just like, we don't have anywhere to store this much glass. So it, it kind of, the decision was made for itself. And this was again around 2019. Um, I think maybe early to mid, actually, no, it had to been late 2019, something like that. Uh, is when we started finding out about it and we had to start rebranding. And so that's when we ended up, you know, starting down the, the United Rye project or sorry, the United project. And, um, and then that finally came out the door in 2021. So we had about this year of limbo stage of like, what can we do? Do we have enough bottles to put out? And we ended up just running out earlier this year. I think we did our last three single barrels and I had, just, I had looked at my spreadsheets just enough. And I think we ended up with 34 empty bottles at the very end. And I was like, all right, well, trash them. That's it. We're, we're done with this glass here. So let's go ahead and move on to the the next headache. And then, you, you know, you go with a bottle that your supplier says, oh, these are available, you know, like always, there's never a problem, you know, we'll get you. And then, okay. And we're like, okay, you know, so we buy enough to get through, you know, the first, run of pursuit united and the or the first couple runs and then enough to the run and we're like but now we need more to do the next run and now we're like well we can only get you this amount and we may not be able to get you more i don't know so it's you know it's with the whole supply chain so that's kind of what we're dealing with now is like uh wait a minute i thought you said this was readily available you know always but you know that's every industry is going through it now just another little side note, kind of going to what you were talking about in regards to taking a bottle, looking at it, trying to figure out what you can pull away to highlight what you want to, which is what's inside, and, and seeing the costs of things that go into those bottles. As a, you know, because of the nature of this podcast, you know, starting it from bourbon enthusiasts, you know, bourbon pursuit guys, now having your own brand, does it change the way that you look at other brands on the shelf or when you hear other people talk about the way other things look on the shelf, do you all see that and think, Oh man, you know, look at it with rose colored glasses or, you know, look at it with, you know, do you, do you ever think about that now knowing what you know on the inside of that? Or are you still kind of now nah, that bottle doesn't look very good. I bet it's not that good. Yeah. I look at, God, I I didn't even know people use foil on their bottles before we got in this. You know, it's like now look at every little detail and then you look at the cost on the shelf and then you look at the packaging and you're like, and you can tell who's got like custom molds and this and that. And you're like, oh, you know, I don't know if you should have done that with that brand. But, you know, uh, it is knowing, you know, what packaging cost it. It does open your eyes and like, and, and you're always, you know, with a brand, you're all, I go to the liquor stores and I'm just scouring through the shelves and seeing what's out there, what's new, what's price points are that, what's moving, what's not moving and stuff. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm always aware of that now. Yeah, it really is when you start doing your own brand and you start doing your own labels. And if you never even got into this before, yeah, you spend a lot of time and you start looking at the labels, you start touching, you start feeling them and you don't realize the you know, the indentions or, you know, the, the, you know, what's a press or anything like that. 
you don't really t- kind of take that for granted and you don't look at all the work and the intricate detail that goes into making those. And I think that's one of the things that we didn't really know at the very beginning, what, what should we do or what should it look like? And thankfully we had a good packaging uh, guy that, that kind of did it for us. But I think it's one of those things that a lot of people take for granted. And at least for us, we, we tried to simplify it as much as possible. We didn't want to go too gaudy or too over the wall or anything like that. But I will say, you know, Brian, to what you were mentioning earlier, is that it's very easy to go and spot on the shelf if a packaging is, if, if they did it cheaply. Like you can tell if they have some kind of like run of the mill label producer, because there's a lot of label producers out there. And if you don't get the the references from other people that are using them, or you don't get the samples, or you don't ask for a press print or anything like that, you're going to end up getting something that is not what you anticipated at the end of the day. And, you know, when going to the glass side, Ryan's right. After you start doing this, you can start picking out and looking at glass and you can say like, oh, okay, I know that's off the shelf. That comes from this manufacturer. This comes from who? This comes from who? Yeah. I'm you looking never... at my bar right now and I can, I can tell you if there's about six common glasses that everybody <laughs> uses, use. that a lot of people use. Which it's... is weird. Like, I didn't know this until we started getting into this. Did you know that anybody can use the Old Forester birthday bourbon bottle? Like, it's it's available. It's off the shelf. Anybody can use it. I think it. I remember like, seeing that, but I'm just surprised that you don't see it very often. Yeah. So, it's it's, it's interesting that stuff like that is people that just don't realize it. But yeah, you, you can. Um, and I think it's one of the, like, the most interesting things is that when you see brands that are charging... Uh, insane amounts for their their whiskey. All I can tell you is that that standard wine bottle, that standard wine bottle shape is about the cheapest bottle that you can get out there. I mean, it is dirt yeah. cheap compared standard to every wine else. bottle with a synthetic cork. It's yep. like, <laughs> gets you about, I don't know, 70 cents in that package. Yeah, it's it's in, it's insanely cheap, but hey, you know, people, uh, people love the hype and that's okay. In regards to your your barrel stock. So if you're running into issues, say as you're as you're building a, a repertoire, as, as you're building up your library of barrels that you will have at your disposal, and you know, as you just mentioned, and you can dig into it a little bit further, as those things might come on and come off of the market, dealing in the source market and having things available to you and then no longer available to you or grabbed up by somebody else, or source runs dry, it gets younger, product changes, any of those sorts of things. I imagine you have to keep a, a, a separate segment of your brand as a single barrel program as you all have, or else what else are you left with doing that? Creating small batches that are always wildly different from one another because the product's always changing? Or, you know, I, again, yeah, just dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of understand what you're saying. And, and really, we can't, we're, we're one of those brands that we see what other people are doing, and but we know the pain that they're going through. Because if you look at, and I'll take, I'll take Fourgate as an example, great whiskey, fantastic sort of way that they're putting a spin on things, really focusing on the the taking different barrels and doing different finishes and sort of creating these sort of one-off things that are... Um, you know, that they can put out there. Let's say Barrel Bourbon, for instance, they do a fantastic job of blending. They've got, you know, up to what, a private barrel batch 40 or something like that. And they have all these little bespoke blends that are out there. Now, the problem with that is that 
I don't I don't want to build our business like that because I know what it takes to build one SKU out. And to build one SKU is a ton and ton of work. So just to even say, all right, if we're going to create one thing, it's a little bit different. It's this little offshoot. It spirals out into a much larger uh, workflow of just trying to figure out like, okay, if we only have five or six barrels of this, we're going to get, you know, somewhere around 1500 bottles and we'll be able to kind of put this out. But for do this, to do this, I have to go, A, I have to go register a new SKU, which is a whole other thing. Did you know that GTIN and SKU numbers and UPC codes that you can only get them from one place and it's actually owned by Kroger and Home Depot? Kind of, now you do. So, so you go and you get a, you get a UPC code, you go and you do all new labels, all new branding. Uh, if you're one of these companies that like to have different colors for each one, you know, you got to have something that's a little bit different. You've got to go to the printer press. It's a whole new thing of making sure that again, going back to square one of saying, okay, this is what our labels are going to look like. You got to have your designer go and figure it out. They've got to go and tweak things. It's got to go off to the printer press. They've got to go and and do all their thing. And when you're going to the printer press, uh, I can guarantee you, I can tell you right now, it's a lot cheaper to buy in bulk than it is to buy in just like, you know, 1500 rolls. Like that's, that's not very cost effective to be able to do something like that. So you go and you just start with there. Then it's trying to figure out, okay, do we use the same glass? Do we use different glasses? It's a one-off kind of thing. All right, if we go and buy, we buy a whole pound of glass uh, and this is only going to be, uh, you know, 700 bottles or it's going to be 1,500 bottles. Well, we're still going to have uh, 500 bottles left after this. Like, what do we do later on? So you have a bunch of leftover product. So there is something to be said about making sure that you have something that is consistent, that is um, fitting within the mold of what you're doing. Because if you are, if you're changing your packaging a lot, you're starting over from scratch every single time. But there is something to be said about that only because you create something a little bit different. It's a little bit unique. It's a, it's something that's a, it's a marketing grab that I can understand why people want to sort of gravitate towards. I just felt with all the things that we have learned over the past three years now, putting it into this business and what it takes to be able to create single barrels. <laughs> single barrels are hard enough, even if you're doing the same type of label, same type of glass, everything like that. I don't want to sit there and do that for a, a bunch of bespoke blends and kind of one-offs and stuff like that. So that's one of those things that, yeah, you will just go ahead and we'll save our inventory of barrels. And we've got, I think, 40 or 50 barrels, maybe a little bit more than that in inventory now that aren't going to go into a United offering. They are only going to be Pursuit Series single barrels. And so we've got a really cool opportunity to kind of just show uh, showcase some things that are a little bit different and you know, without having to sort of break the mold and come out with a, a whole brand new label. Now, but don't put it out of the question. There there could always be a new label in the future. Uh, we just might need some, some more help on the operations side to be able to pull that sort of stuff off. Yeah, If those procedures yeah. were easier, would you dabble in it more? Or are you like, nope, so. this is a lane. I think we kind of want to stay in it. No, I mean, I think, you know, right now we have our swim lane and, and it works out pretty well. But I I feel that if, if the process was easier, and gosh, I didn't even totally, I totally flopped on this thing. So even if you want to come out with a little bespoke blend, something a little bit different, and you want to create a new name for it, uh, that's a whole trademark thing. You So you got to hire your attorney, you got to go file a trademark, you got to go to TTB, you got to get TTB approval, all this other stuff. Like there's there's a lot of things that kind of go on with it. If there was a, a an easy, like a click easy button, um, 
And God, I didn't even mention this. So you create a new label, create a new UPC code. You got to go to every single one of your distributors that you want to go to, and you got to fill out a new uh, item form that they have to go and put into their thing because now they have a new item and a new thing that they have to do. So it's this whole trickle down thing that I don't think people just don't realize that happens on the back end of just how much work goes into it. Um, but if there was an easy button, if it was just all automated and web driven, oh, sure, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, except the fact that I think our label designer would hate us because we'd say, all right, we got another barrel. We need a whole new label or something like that. Um, I don't want to get to that, you know, that stage of overworking somebody in the art department for that. But if there was something that made it easy to have a one click button that went to, you know, 92 different websites and submitted stuff, heck yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I think we learned early on that even with creating like the blend of United, you know, we were going down the hole of, you know, we had the contract distilling from Tennessee. We had, uh, you know, our partnership with Finger Lakes. And then we had, you know, at the time, Barton and Heaven Hill because we were looking for that Kentucky component. But we, we we had a blend that we really liked with each of those components, but they were gone, you know, always. And it was hard to procure them and always secure that. And so we're like, gosh, how do we, you know, make this to where it's more scalable and more, easily repeatable process, you know, long-term. And that's where we brought BBC in, but even they had very limited amount of barrels, you know, that we could take to market now. And so it took like, cause they were like, well, we're trying to grow our brands too. And we need as many barrels as we knew to. And so we're like, please give us your barrels. And then, you know, the whole blend, we based our blend off of, you know, the contract distilling from Tennessee was, you know, we thought we had an ample amount that we would have be able to, you know, have product for four years easily. I remember those we're conversations. Like, we're like, like oh, all right, yeah, we're ready to, yeah, we're ready to go for batch two. And they're like, well, we don't have any barrels. And you're like, what do you mean? You said you have hundreds and thousands that there's going to be no problem, you know? And so that's kind of, so we, we, Kenny was great and said, all right, we got to outline the next, you know, 10 years and how we can go and map this out and secure our future and make it repeatable. And, and then it really literally took, you know, me banging on BBC's door and begging them for barrels and Kenny banging on our contract distiller in Tennessee and saying, we need these. We think we have a good long-term project in partnership with you guys and please just sell us these so we can make it for the next four years. And, and thankfully they, they obliged, but they did not want to at first because they saw how valuable their product was, you know, in their own hands. So yeah, just that whole process. And now that we have secured product for the next four years to allow us to scale to where we want to be long-term, but yeah, that was a scary and huge pain in the ass. Cause you're like, we have this great product, but we don't have any whiskey to sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finding the age product is not easy because Everybody wants to hang on to it right now. Nobody wants to get rid of it. You guys were talking about licensing and you're talking about, you know, making sure you're getting that and TTB and all that stuff in line as you're going into other markets, other states. One thing you didn't hit on, and I was thinking about it because I thought I read something recently about at the start of the year, I believe at the start of the year, that Four Roses is going to be switching uh, their the distributor that they go through. And I feel like, you, you see that all the time. If you're one who who is looking after new products dropping in a market, then you probably know who's who's bringing those products to you. Uh, what does it look like 
trying to figure out who you're going to partner with when you go to other markets and do, are you running into problems there that you don't see? And, and I, I bring it up mainly because, you know, I'm seeing comments from folks as we, we post a couple of photos of, of customers who were able to find bottles of Pursuit United on their shelves in Texas. And then, you know, wondering again, Hey, when are we going to see it again? And, you know, it, it could, at any given time, I think these things could be stock level, but I imagine some of these two would just come in between figuring out how and who is going to get product out for you. Is there anything that you all want to talk about in regards to that, that you've seen in in the markets that you've been in or just, you know, headaches or hassles or things that the public won't see? You know, the, all the public does or doesn't see is, is the product there or not there? But I'm sure there's probably more than that. Yeah, let's let's air some dirty laundry. Why not? So there is, I guess you could say, so Ryan and I, you know, when you co-found something, it's kind of like you're being married to somebody. When you pick a distributor, it's kind of like your cousin. You know, you trust them, but you trust them to a degree. And you have to trust them to be able to sell your product and be able to go out there and do it. And, you know, I think we were a little naive at first. And when this all kind of started, and even to this day, we have not yet gone to a distributor and said, can you please carry our product? Can you please sell our stuff? It has been, everybody has sort of been coming to us. And I feel that that's a really good sort of strategy, at least for us at the very beginning, only because we're small enough and people are eager. They want to go out and they want to sell it. They want to establish a relationship and they want to help build the brand. And we've been successful in, uh, I don't know, except everything except one place so far. And I can't really say like enough good things of what it actually is. Like we talk about the three tier system all the time on Bourbon Pursuit, and we're like, God, ah, you know. At first, we're like, burn it down, take it, to, take it to the ground. But now we definitely see the the benefit uh, of what's there, and and the value of having your bottle on shelves across the country. As people said, if you want to find it, like it's so easy, you can just go to go to your specs, or go to your binnies, or go to uh, your total wines, or anything like that, and you can go pick up a bottle. So there's definitely something to be said about having a, a distributor and picking that out. And as I mentioned, we were a little naive at first because if somebody calls and they're saying, hey, we want to carry your stuff, and I call Ryan, I'm like, hey, man, what do you what do you think about Tennessee? Sure, sounds good. Like, okay. Like, we didn't know what it what it all meant to kind of go to some of these places and, and, and how some of the distribution games are played because the way that, you know, after Prohibition was ended, Every state is different. Every state can run their liquor distribution and their sales and however they however they want it to be able to do it. And so, you know, when you like when you go to Tennessee and you pick a Tennessee distributor, you're married for life. You can't leave. And I think that was one thing that I didn't know about. But thankfully, we had a good relationship with somebody else that was also with that distributor and it's it's worked out fairly well. And, and you don't realize in Tennessee that they have like like four different Territories, like yeah. Territories that your distributor can do Chattanooga and Knoxville, but they can't do Nashville, but they can do this or that. I don't know. It, I, I still don't understand how it all works. But anyways. Yeah. No, it's, it's very true. And that who knows? That might end up coming to bite us in the ass years from now when we're like, okay, we need to go to somebody like an R&DC that can just go ahead and just take us national and we don't have to worry about going to all these smaller distributors. That day might come. But here's the other thing. Okay, I'll air a little bit of dirty laundry. So, uh, you know, we have we had this uh, 
I'm not going to name names, but we had a distributor that originally started off and he, we basically called us out of the blue because he said, Hey, I'd love to be able to carry you all. And I said, this is actually pretty, using that word fortuitous. I said, Hey, we're actually needing to get a single barrel down because they had just picked a single barrel with us. And the distributor we thought we were going to use isn't really answering our phone calls. Because, of course, we'd bring one single barrel. Like, who's going to mess with that? So he says, yep, I got it. Not a problem. Got it through. And we had a pretty decent working relationship for a few different years, uh, or for a few years. And then at some point, it all just kind of turned sour. And when I say turned sour, ended up having these conversations of just saying, hey, like, you know, your product's just not selling. I can't get any stores to buy it. You know, your, your price is too high. Nobody wants it. You know, 250 cases of, of United was just too much to send. And Ryan and I, I mean, at first we took his word for it. And then afterwards, we're sort of scratching our heads and we're saying, it doesn't seem like 250 cases. Like, that doesn't seem like a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, especially when your distributors in every other state, I think in, pretty much in every other state says, yeah, we sold out in a couple of weeks, you know, to, to everyone. And you're like, yeah, it was kind of weird. Yeah. So we had these conversations and... And and then it, it kind of boiled up to the point where we realized he doesn't have enough money to pay us. And we're now sitting here basically, you know, out tens of thousands of dollars because he's sitting on either product that he's either sold and is lying to us, or he's just sitting in, in a warehouse and he's not actually out there selling it. And he is trying to play a game of well, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna pay you when I sell the product, which we found out a little bit later after talking to a few lawyers. That's called consignment, and that's actually a federal a breaking federal law. Uh, you can't do consignment sales on alcohol in distributing practice. So that's sort of the the airing of the dirty laundry is is we're now in filing lawsuits to try and get some money back. Um, you know, we're not going to make our full money back, but it is it is one of the things that, you know, back to the whole thing of pains, you know, it's a growing pain for us that we took somebody's, you know, goodwill and their personality at, you know, at face without actually having any deeper conversations and like, how many people, how many salespeople do you have? Uh, what are the brands you're distributing? And all these other kind of things. Like we should have done a little bit more homework and, and trying to figure that sort of stuff out. And so yeah. we just look at it as a, you know, a, a business decision we'll have to learn from and we'll, we'll kind of move forward with, it's unfortunate that we're not gonna be able to recoup all that money, but uh, I think, you know, in the long term, it's, it's the best decision to kind of rip that bandaid off now. And we'll, we'll find a new distributor and hopefully we will, we'll recoup something here uh, in the next, you know, six months to a year from them. Yeah. It's like when Jerry McGuire goes to sign that one kid and the guy's like, my words are strong as Oak. And then he goes with another agent or, you know, it's, it, it's kind of feels like that, but yeah, it's just, hopefully we get away with paying at least amount of stupid tax as possible for being naive, you know, initially, um, you know, we're both trustworthy, you know, I think that's one of our upsides, you know, and it's gotten us in, I think it's done more positive things than negative, but I think we were a little too, uh, giddy about <laughs> getting distribution and taking people for their word. And in, in that case, and, uh, you know, that's, that's unfortunate because the business is all about trust. You know, the whole world's built, built on that and it, and it, and it sucks to get violated really. 
Even recently, I know that you and I have been, you know, engaging with somebody online who was asking about coming uh, to their specific state, coming to their particular market. And I don't know, you know, if it's really all the steps that it takes to get into a market until, you know, I saw your reply to them, which was talking about product, right? You know, and this is, you know, again, goes back to what I mentioned earlier in the show in regards to to batch sizes too, you know, you you want to get your name out there. You probably have people clamoring for you in different states, but it's not just as easy as that. You know, what if you start to diversify too much to too many regions, you're what going to be sending ten cases of bottles to you know to some of these places, and then you basically say, okay, Georgia, you've got sixty bottles for all of you all. You know, that's not going to last very long. Or hey, Idaho, come get the twenty four bottles we have for your state. You know, you see those with these big allocated limited products and stuff like that sometimes, but you know, that's not, that's not going to be sustainable for you. And ultimately, especially as you're starting to build a brand, I would assume it's going to be more frustrating to people than anything in trying to break down the barrier of learning to, to, to like your brand, to interact with your brand, to grow with your brand. Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's, it's one of those things that it's easy to have the conversation. You have the conversation with the distributor and you're like, Hey, this sounds good. All it really takes is filing some paperwork with a distributor, and then it actually takes some time to start filing with the state, and you have to go and register your brands with the state, register your own state with the state. You usually have to get some sort of liquor license with the state to be able to have some importer's license or wholesaler's license, and it's all at the state level. So you have to do that for every state that you do. So it's not as easy as it sounds um, to be able to just go ahead and do that. But you are right. When you start with the product side of things, you, you want to you want to make sure that you satisfy your your early customers, the ones that took your risks on you and that really want to keep promoting your product and pushing it out there. And even if we're only sending 300 cases to a state, that's still really not that much. Um, yeah. You know, they, they want to, they want to spread it around. They want to get it to the corners of the state. They want to get it everywhere. And, you know, usually after that, you know, it's on you to kind of help do some more promotion and kind of like, you know, help really sell it and stuff like that. But, you you also don't want to be in a spot where nobody's saying like I'm not going to take 60 cases like I'm not going to worry about it right now like it's it's not enough for me to go and worry about selling. Uh, most people that you want to have something that's a little substantial to be able to go and do that. I would say that the one benefit we have on our side is that even if we only do you know 60 cases, or if it's a small run, or if it's you know you get 250 or 400 cases, if it's a little bit larger run, is that since we can only bottle, well, we only plan on right now bottling one time a year. Well, that's your allocation for the year. So take it or leave it because it can go somewhere else if you don't want it. And there's some states where it sells better than than other places. And I think that's just one of those things that you have to look at and and kind of just fluctuate over time and figure out, okay. And, and you also have to do this. You have to check in with your distributors. And I do this um, about every you know three to six months. And I'll send them a message and I'll say, Hey, how's it selling? Is there anything that we can do or anything like that? And, you know, usually I'll get a response back to say, yeah, we're, we're halfway sold or something like that through all of our, you know, it's, it's out of inventory in the, in the warehouse, but you know, they always check in with their stores and if anybody wants repeat orders or anything like that. So you, you kind of get a gauge on, on where it's selling and how well it's doing. And you just want to make sure you, you kind of take care of those those ones that kind of keep you there because yeah, if you spread yourself too thin, then we're like, okay, yeah, we're in Pennsylvania or we're in New York, and people are looking around like, no, you're not in New York. Like, I can't find you anywhere. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, we're only in like three yeah, stores. There's there's a hundred bottles there. <laughs>
Well, guys, I appreciate you diving into this. I think, you know, it's it's really interesting to get the background of this. I know that as we continue to talk, there'll be more stuff that we bring up too. So look forward to continuing to dive into that as well as obviously uh, the exciting things that we have to talk about. Uh, I'll leave it again for everyone who is listening. Thanks again for tuning in, for listening. Reminder that if you have topic requests, if you have questions for the folks, you know, you can send us an email podcast at pursuitspirits.com and we'll either take those and put those into some of the show topics or just do an email segment where we're talking through some of those questions for you all. Gentlemen, thanks again for your time and we'll see you all next episode.